Well, it's great to see you this morning on this new year. But I wonder, is it me or am I the only one, <coughs> excuse me, who is disoriented that this is the first Sunday of 2020? I'm trying to get my head around that. We spent half of our Christmas time debating with our granddaughter whether or not we were in a new decade or not. So here's my, here's my poll question. For those of you, how many believe we are now in a new decade? Raise your hand. All right. How many of you <laughs> How many of you believe that the new decade doesn't start till 2021? Yeah, well, you're all right, too. That's, she, she's on your side. I just want you to know that. I, I made no final distinction, but she's definitely on your side. But, but it is this kind of disorienting time. It, it's, it's also the first Sunday of the New Year, but it's also the last Sunday of Christmas. You know, as the song goes, there's 12 days of Christmas. And, and in our culture, we think that those 12 days like lead into Christmas, but the truth is they begin at Christmas. And today is the final day of Christmas, and tomorrow begins what is known as the season of Epiphany, where we celebrate, we remember the wise men coming, and we think about God as revelation to us. Centuries ago, though, people actually practiced Christmas for 12 days. Could you imagine that? <laughs> In the days prior to the Industrial Revolution, before there was a 52-week work year, and also for some people who, who lived in agricultural communities and didn't work in the cold weather, this is how they would practice Christmas. They would make it a season of celebration, reflection, and prayer as they prepared for the new season and the new year. Now, I think we can also do that in a unique way. We have this tree out in the foyer that is our God story tree, and we're answer, answering the question on these Christmas balls. Who has Christ been to us this last year? Well, we're going to take all these direct, directions, all these decorations down um, this weekend, coming up before next Sunday. But we would like for you to take a ball with you. Choose a ball that's out there on the tree, maybe to remind you of something Jesus is to you. This, is, this one says, Jesus is my strength, with a nice little heart on it. And so um, this is one of them. But there are many out there. And would you just take a ball with you? And even for the next month, hold on to that. Put it in a place where you can remember who Christ is to you, who Christ is to me. Now, now, this idea of celebrating Christmas for 12 days, moving into this new year, is quite different than the way we do it. But the truth is, we always hold this time of year in this delicate tension. We always walk into the new year, uh, though really, when you think about it, there's really not a lot of difference between December 31st and January 1st, except the meaning we've imposed on it, but yet it creates this somewhat disorientation sometimes for us, this delicate tension. The new year is something that offers excitement. And just think about the recent celebrations around the world, especially in Times Square. This is what it says on the Times Square website about that. As the famous New Year's Eve ball descends atop one Times Square, an estimated one million people in Times Square, millions nationwide, and over a billion people watching throughout the world are united in bidding collective farewell to the departing year and expressing joy and hope for the year ahead. 
So there's this great excitement in, in all of that. But this is also mixed with the tension of the unknown future that's ahead. Questions tumble in upon us. This is, this is a time of year where we're encouraged to ask questions about life and choices and what we're going to do. And last week, we're, we were worshiping. We were worshiping with our friends Jim and Debbie Ennis in Wells, Maine. They were handing out calendars for January with unique holidays. Do you know what January 17th is? January 17th is the day you give up on your resolutions. <laughs> it's a national holiday. Okay? I've already started. I'm starting early on that, right? But it's this time of year where we, we really kind of try to process through questions that tumble in upon us, fears of the unknown that assault us. I am so glad for electronic payment methods because the month of January for me was always a struggle of remembering to write 2020, in this case, on my checks. I don't have to do that now. Someone does that for me. But it's this time of change. This is what some people call this space where we find ourselves a little disoriented, uncertain about the future, just coming out of all of the vibrancy of Christmas. This is what some call liminal space. The business world understands it. The psychology world tries to navigate it. And in your life and in my everyday life, we all move in and out of liminal space. What is liminal space? Well, Richard War says this, liminal space is our old world left behind while we are not yet sure of the new existence. It is when you have left or are about to leave the tried and true, but have not yet been able to replace it with anything else. It is when you are between your old comfort zone and any possible new answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. In some ways, we just came through an entire season that acknowledges this idea of liminal space. We call that season Advent. For we're always living between the what is and the what is yet to be. But it is this turnover from the old year to the new year, this end of the Christmas season, where Christmas trees in all their glory become Christmas trees by the side of the road waiting for pickup or stuffed into the box to put in the basement. It's then we feel this liminal space, if you will, more acutely. We are always landing in this space, though. Now, that word liminal comes from the Latin word for threshold. It's the idea of crossing over a threshold. And that is exactly where we find ourselves, especially at the beginning of the new year with what is ahead of us. We are crossing, crossing a threshold. And whenever we get into those spaces, sometimes they're awkward. They can be an uncomfortable space, which we can also begin to hate because it's unresolved time. But it's also the place of new beginnings. It is the place of crossing this threshold where God can birth new things in us as we allow old things to die. That is why the first five verses of John's Gospel are a great word to begin with this year. John was writing this Gospel to encourage and reach a specific group. He was really writing to essentially Greek believers and non-believers, trying to teach them about the idea of belief. And faith. He focuses on the essential need for our belief to be translated into actual faith in an encounter with the Son of God, with Christ. Some have called this the gospel of belief. 
But these first words offer us the firm foundation for our belief and a solid launching point for us to move into this year and this life before us, and for that matter, for every day before us. Here again the word of the Lord from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May God open up our hearts to his word today. Amen. In John's words, when you read those first five verses, the prologue of John's gospel, we are transported into the great mystery of Christ as the living word of God. And from this, this, these five verses, primary themes begin to emerge that will take life throughout the entire Gospel of John. He is, first theme, the Logos, the Word, capital W. That's why we see it that way in our Bibles. It's, it's telling us that He is the very expression of who God is. So if you want to know what God is like, Look closely at Jesus. This is one of the central themes of the Gospel of John. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at God. In fact, in John chapter 14, where we find those famous words, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, after he says this wonderful statement, his, gospel, his disciples say, you know, if you would only just show us God, that would be a great thing. If you only just show us the Father, we, it'd be, and we all want that. If you only, God, if you just let us see you, and Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So this is a constant theme. Paul echoes this theme with his words from Colossians. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The very expression of God. And in both John's words and Paul's words, we're told that Jesus was right there with God the Father in the exception of creation. Verse 2 says, he was with God in the beginning. Think about that. Try to wrap your head around it. You won't be able to, but try. To wrap your head around that. And then look, look how Paul describes it. He, he says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. There is a term for this description that we're getting from these two, John and Paul. The theological term is a description of Jesus as the pre-incarnate Christ. The pre-incarnate Christ. Before there was a manger, and before there was a birth, and before there was a life and a death and a resurrection of Jesus, John says he was with God in the beginning. Now, we try to wrap our minds around that, and we can't. And we simply get lost in the mystery of it. One of our biggest challenges is we're so fixed on wanting to have every single answer to every single question, to be so certain about all of it. We run into this text and we just we have to surrender. We have to surrender to the Word. And we have to marvel in the mystery of God. And so we do that here. It is so difficult to see and understand simply because we can't see it and we struggle to understand it. But it is a word of life for us as we find our minds in the tension 
of what was and what is yet to be, what we call liminal space. Jesus Christ was and is the start of all things good and godly. That's a good word. Jesus Christ is and was the start of all things beautiful and glorious. Jesus Christ is the start of all things marked by the image of God. And Jesus is the starting place in our lives, especially in the chapters we live out in what was and what is yet to be. Jesus has his fingerprints all over creation. And the word, Jesus, wants his fingerprints all over us in our lives. So in this place of in-between, then, we, we have a truth we can hold on to. And it is this. He is the foundation we can trust. Right? He is the very foundation we can trust. Now remember also, we heard these words in verse 4. In him was life. Not from him we get life, but in him is life. So if Christ is dwelling in me by faith, if I'm following him, then that means in me is life. Now think about this for a moment. That's another theme that's carried out in John. 41 times in the Gospel of John, this theme of life comes to the surface He is the source of life and the keeper and sustainer of life because he is life. He gives us eternal life and his plan always is for us to experience abundant life. And his life is found in his stabilizing presence that we can depend on. It's the enduring strength we can tap into. Paul goes on in Colossians and he says it this way. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We sang those words earlier. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Passion Translation puts it this way. I'm glad I'm getting good amens today, right? (laughs) He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in him. Now, I often will sign a note or an email with that reference, Colossians 1.17, because those very words have become a a marker for me. If you want to call them a light verse, you can call them that, but when, 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 when I don't know where else to go, when I don't know where to turn in my Bible, when I don't know, when I don't know what to think, I go to Colossians 1.17 and just declare those truths. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things find their completion. So those very words have become an anchor point. They remind me that there is nothing I face in life that he does not get. They also remind me he is the finisher of all that is good. Brings everything to completion, even in the unknown. And that he holds everything together, especially me and you. He holds us together. So these words attributed to St. Patrick, I think, say it well. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise. He is the God who went before us in all creation. He is the God 
with us who took on flesh. As Pastor Mary pointed out last week, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. And he is the God who goes ahead of us. And in knowing this, I know he is the God who undergirds my life. He undergirds our lives. And the truth is, that has always been part of the defining view of God for the people of God. It's always been that way from the very beginning of them being a people of God. In the earliest places, in the book of Deuteronomy, we read these words, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. But here's the difference. For the people who first heard it then and we who hear it now, the difference is this. The one who is holding us up, the hands of the one who is holding us up, is the one who also gave his life for us. We understand that. And, and he has this tight grip on us. So how good is it to know that God has hold of us? My friends, when we trust Christ, Christ has hold of us. Max Licato said this, the God who first made you is strong enough to sustain you. That's a simple statement. I thought, well, that's, I don't know if I'm going to put that in. That's so, but it's so powerful. The God who first made you, the God who first made me, the architect of who you are is the same one who can hold you together, who can sustain your life. He's the keeper, the sustainer, as well of the, as the initiator because he's the initiator of life. But what makes all this so powerful is the third theme that rises up in these five verses that will carry its way out through all of the Gospel of John. In fact, 16 times this theme appears, and it awakens us to the power that Christ is. And it's those words that, that we just love to hear. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it knowing that there is a god who a savior who was there at the start who who's a foundation we can stand on is great knowing that there is a god who is life and can sustain us is awesome but sometimes you know what we really need sometimes just need a little light. Sometimes what we need more than anything is light. Especially in the darkness or especially in this place of unknowing, the place of between what was and what will be. It requires someone to guide us in the dark unknown that's ahead. And the good news is, is Jesus Christ is our guide by his spirit. Jesus Christ is that light. Here's a fact. No matter how dark it gets outside, darkness has no capacity, no ability to contain light. Uh, over the course of the, um, we'll just call it the holiday season, I remember reading something online about some folks who traveled into one of the darkest caves and deepest caves in the world. And, and, and they got down there so deep, so deep. And, you know, they had lights, headlights, and all that. And then they shut the lights off. 
I like adventure. I'm not so sure I like that much adventure. You know, I'm not afraid of the dark, but down there, that deep, and they shut the light off and you can't see your hand right in front of your face, I'm just waiting for something to touch me. <laughs> right? I don't like that much darkness. But I want you to think about this. When you get down, even in the darkest, deepest cave tunnel, in the deepest spot of the earth, where it's so dark, when you shut the lights off, all you can see is nothing but blackness. Even that darkness, that level, that measure of darkness, cannot extinguish, contain light. A pinpoint of light, just a pinpoint, penetrates the darkness. The Bible tells us that this light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. That's not only a physical phenomenon, that is the spiritual reality of Christ's presence. It was the American short story writer, O. Henry, who captured our fear about walking into a dark future. His last words on his deathbed were these. Turn up the lights. I don't want to go home in the dark. No one wants to go home in the dark. No one wants to go home in the dark. You know, when I'm, I'm home, if I know Kathleen's coming home, especially this time of year, it gets dark early, I'll make sure the front porch is on if I'm home before her to make sure there's light when she pulls into the house and she does the same for me. We do that for one another because we want people to know the way home. And we want to know because light prevents, presents safety for us. And, and so Jesus later on gives us some of the most liberating and comforting words. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You hear that? We do not have to stay in darkness. We don't have to. There are 361 more days, because it's a leap year, there are 361 more days to live life to the fullest God intends for us. And the truth is, not one of those days, not one of those days has to be lived in the darkness. Not one. In fact, Jesus said later in John chapter 3 that living in light is a choice, and this is how he put it. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light. People loved darkness instead of light. Now hear that. They love darkness. That's a choice. And he also says this later in chapter 1, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So, so this light can be chosen by anyone. It's for everyone. It can be chosen by anyone. Light is coming to the world, but people love darkness instead of light. So you see, it's a choice really, about what I'm going to love. That's what the decision is. What am I going to love in this life? What am I going to love in this next year? What am I going to love? That's the choice we're talking about here. But, but reverse it, reverse it. Imagine if we said it this way. Imagine if we said people, the, the, people loved light instead of darkness. Light has come into the world. What if we decided we were going to be the people who loved light instead of darkness? That was going to be what defined us. That we were going to make sure that we were aligning our lives 
to love the light of Christ. So what choices will I make, will you make, to love the light of Jesus? What choices will we make to stand on this firm foundation that he is? Because you see, the, the very God who has gone before us and holds us together is the God who is our companion in this space. And that makes another truth Richard Rohr states our truth. This is the sacred space where the old world is able to fall apart and a bigger world is revealed. If we don't encounter liminal space in our lives, we start idealizing normalcy. The threshold is God's waiting room. I've been pondering those words. And you know, they're scary. This sacred space where our old world is able to fall apart, I don't like that. I don't like my old world falling apart, but I like sacred space. So what if those spaces are the threshold that take me, that I must cross to find the light of Christ more dear, stronger? Because he was with God in the beginning. Because Christ was part of the very creative presence of God we now begin this new year and each day waiting for God to create, birth a new thing in us and through us. In our everyday mundane lives, in the exciting times, in the days when all is calm and all is bright, and in the days when answers are few and confusion reigns and discouragement and difficulty press on down, when grief slams into us, when death is an unwelcome visitor, when the unknown lingers, because he was with God in the beginning, he is poised to create something in us in those spaces. And there we find light. As we come this first Sunday of the year and first Sunday of the month, we come to this table and this morning, this table points us to this truth. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come, please. And I'm going to ask our pastors if they would come and prepare for communion today. But let's pray together. Lord, when we stare at the cross of Christ through these elements, we are reminded that the fiercest darkness, the greatest evil, and the most perilous unknown can be entrusted to the one, you, who walked straight into the darkness of death and vanquished it with your life. O oh God, we pray this day, that we would trust you, O light of the world, to meet us in the spaces ahead, in the places of unknown, in the places of change, in the places of struggle. O oh God, meet us in that liminal space and light up our lives. We trust you today, O Christ, in Jesus' name.
I invite you to stand and receive this benediction. May we now walk into the unknown that is tomorrow, standing on what we do know, that Jesus Christ has come. The light has come, and darkness cannot overcome it. May we walk in the light of Christ, in the way of Christ, for the glory of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another in his name. It's great to be with you today. Happy New Year.